Hi, I'm Gerard Leonhardt, Futurist. I'm here in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa, with my good friend and colleague Anton Bosgraf, who runs Future World. We've done a few episodes on the world by 2030. It's getting more excited, exciting <laughs> and excited by the minute. Uh, we have a great topic today to talk about artificial intelligence, the future of work and jobs, and it's not as dark as it sounds. Uh, I've said many times, I think, uh, quoting, I think, an old Supreme Court judge uh, who said, one machine can replace a thousand ordinary workers, but no machine can replace an extraordinary worker. Uh, and that was 150 years ago. So let's talk about AI and all these things uh, that are currently cooking. Let's start with ChatGPT, artificial intelligence, generative AI. And just as a quick, oh, we started with this and then we'll, we'll uh, talk more about this. There's been a great moment in AI, and this has been going on really for 20 or 30 years, Correct. Uh, where the transformer model was started by Google. Deep learning, machine learning is what everybody's working on. But all of a sudden, OpenAI decides to release ChatGPT. Uh, I, th I think it was 3.0, now it's going to be 4.0 very soon, to the public, more or less, to basically create a Sputnik moment. And I think OpenAI was fully aware of this, that it wouldn't work in most cases, or it wouldn't really produce long-term results, but they decided to jump the gun to create the, the uh, sort of a race to the moon. You know, you could say that basically OpenAI is like Sputnik and uh, Google and, and Microsoft are kind of trying to land on the moon. Right. Uh, that's how I look at it. But what's your take on ChatGPT, generative AI? Well, I think, good. firstly, it's amusement at the, at the paranoia, at the panic, at the amazement, if you like. I mean, is it interesting, exciting? Absolutely. But let's not forget what happened in you know, 1990, 1991, where we started connecting computers through a dial-up modem, and the world was amazed and scared. And here we are 25 or so years later of fundamental change, and we're only reaching the start line of that change. And ChatGPT and, and all its forms, other names, if you like, is exactly the same. It's the start of something that's not going to go away. Is it scary? Absolutely. Is it exciting? Profoundly so. Well, I think, you know, unlike the metaverse, which is this vision of mostly meta and Zuckerberg, <laughs> that we're all going to live in this uh, wearing a helmet and, and take a refuge in his empire, um, AI, I think, is much more of a long-term lasting concept. I always say, you know, we have infotech, we have biotech, right? we have sustainable tech, energy tech, and then we have AI tech. Yes. Uh, it's of that magnitude. Yes. And I think what we're seeing with ChatGPT to me is the pinnacle of that. I mean, basically just a tiny, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg there, right? Because basically what it does, um, it regurgitates like an autocomplete, you could say, or some people say a fancy parrot. Um, but it's also very much a dilettante. So it has actually no idea what it's talking about. And, and I think this is the best word for, for it is a dilettante. You know, as somebody who looks like they know a lot and is very good at bringing it across, but ultimately has nothing underneath. No, and there's, there's, there's no nuance. There's, like, there, there's no perspective. And, and there's no understanding. So I think this comes part from the fact that um, this is a language model, an LLM, a large language model. And a large language model uses language to find things. It doesn't use images. It doesn't use other things that are not data. It uses languages. And it goes out to trillions of words and recombines them in different ways that make the most sense. And in many times, it's really amazing. So if you're having a problem connecting your camera to your computer, you can, you, and it will give you a whole tutorial, and that's really powerful. As soon as you ask anything about opinion, 
like, you know, should South Africa be dependent on coal, you know, or, or whatever, right? It, it will come up with something that sounds reasonable, but if you probe deeper, it will come up with complete conjecture. Uh, because at some point, somebody may have written somewhere around the world that uh, South Africa is, is already out of coal, or, and, and they find that and they put it together. So to me, this is a very, very big question, is that this engine that produces roughly 3% of reality, uh, uh, we're looking at it as if it was reality, and that's what we always do. It's, it's like Lego blocks, right? I mean, it's like you know, billions and billions and billions of Lego blocks, words, and it suddenly just finds different ways of constructing a sentence that reads logically in English. But where's the review function? Where's the insight function? Where's the nuance? And where's the connecting this set of ideas to an unrelated set of ideas in another industry and then drawing the joint inference from it? That doesn't exist. But hey, good, it's only ChatGPT version 3.4 or version 4 soon. The point is, by 2030, it is going to be ubiquitous. It is going to be way more powerful. And it is going to take away many, many jobs. What we've got to figure out is, how do we manage its impact and what impact we want it to have, firstly? And secondly, how do we then train humans, develop humans to have skills that a competent language processor can't replace? Well, mm -hmm. we've both talked about this for, for a long time, about routine, how routine is being replaced by machines. But a lot of times when we look at routine, it's only pieces of what we do that is routine. For example, you can outsource your bookkeeping to zero, and you can you can out outsource your scheduling to Slack or, you know, routine. But driving a car, for example, right? people think it's routine, but actually it turns out it's not. It's very difficult to have level five automated driving. And if we get level three or four, we consider ourselves lucky and it's a great help, but we're still driving yeah. and we still have truckers. Right? So we have this common misunderstanding that you know, we're much further along and the machines will actually replace all of this. I believe that uh, it will give us a chance to outsource the routine work, the monkey work, the commodity work, the dirty, dull, and dangerous, you know, <laughs> uh, like in mining, right? Yeah. Um, so that can be painful if you do, you know, if you work like a robot, a robot takes your job, right? but very few people work entirely like a robot. So, for example, check out in the supermarket, if you work in a giant Safeway in America, so you have 25 cash registered and you don't do anything but just type in and enter, yes, job's gone. But if you work in a, in a supermarket here in Cape Town and you have local relationships, you wouldn't want to take that person because that's the connector, right? And you don't need to use a machine. So I think uh, a lot of that will mean routines are being outsourced. Um, and by 2030, the system will be very smart. But also, we have to understand that, in my view, logic alone is not enough. You know, and these are logic machines. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. I mean, the fourth industrial revolution, Gerd, was about automation, robotization, you know, uh, technological everything. The fifth industrial revolution, I believe, needs to be about rehumanizing humanness and humans, rehumanizing humans. So, in other words, finding those features, those virtues, if you like, that are uniquely human but that also add value to the customer experience in whatever industry you're in. Those we need to enhance, elevate, monetize differently, and then let the machines do all the checkouts in a safe way in the US. Because you cannot tell me that that person is actually fulfilled as a human. You can't tell me they get goosebumps from what they do every single day. And very few of them make a real impact on the customer. So let the machine do that. 
But then we need to be courageous enough, curious enough, brave enough to say to humans, this is a way in which you can add relevance to society as a human and then way to learn to monetize that differently. And so capitalism, in a sense, needs to shift because we won't only measure profit on you know, net profit or EBITDA or market cap, etc. This is one of our key challenges, clearly, because if we take a purely capitalist means that you make more profit when you have a machine, because the machine doesn't have a union, it works forever, right? You make more profit, but there is a societal component. So when we're moving into a larger view of what we want, you know, people, planet, purpose, prosperity, not just prosperity, uh, then this becomes a situation where you say, okay, so we have all these machines doing commodity work, we have more productivity. What we have now is more productivity, but declining wages, you know, and declining jobs. And that's because of a policy, it's not because of technology. Absolutely right? correct. And so, and so we need to fix that problem and say, if we have declining pro pro uh, productivity, we have more money, then some of that money needs to go into a pool to redo work for the others. For example, I think we should have more healthcare workers, more social work, more people that get paid to have children, you know, which is important, I think, in a, in a free society. And all of these things, it has to be more equal. And that is the true problem behind AI, because AI will show us that routine work can be outsourced. Mm -hmm. Thus, I only work two hours a day, and my boss will say, two hours a day, I can get somebody to be four times two hours, and I fire three people, right? Yes. But I think what will also start shifting in the world is what we deem valuable. So an automated process will attract less and less of a premium as it becomes ultimately commoditized. So what then becomes valuable is those things that are scarce. In the world today, filled of smart machines, what becomes more scarce is empathy, insight, curiosity, innovation, critical thinking, etc. But the question is, how do we then monetize those differently? And I think the consequence will be that there are going to be millions of people that simply can't climb that ladder, perhaps. And so a global universal minimum wage, whether it's that we tax the robots or whatever it is, but I think we're going to have to face up to that. Having said that, though, and we're scared about the millions of jobs that AI is going to take away, but we haven't yet had the debate and explored how many more millions will be created in the industries you've spoken about, the care industries, for example, the career advisory industries, and so forth. Um, the personal strategy in industries. And so brand new industries that will exist at all fill a huge part of that gap, but not all of that gap. Well, if the end of routine, as I, as I call it, if that's not the end of work, then we have to shift our education and our planning into the things that are not routine. And that includes everything that's human. So negotiation, caretaking, yeah. uh, complicated manual jobs, complicated intellectual jobs, but things with a judgment and, and on and on, right? And what we currently are doing is, for example, in India, we're producing uh, 1.2 million engineers per year, right. right? And a lot of those engineers will end up doing the jobs that machines could do, which is how to figure out how to print a 3D house or how to lay a bridge across a river yeah. and then make a $300 a month and the machines will take their job, right? And so we're, we're, we're barking up the wrong tree by competing with machines. There's no question about the commodity work. Absolutely correct. I think that's an absolute given. And I think that, you know, w when you look at all of these jobs and uh, what graduates are we producing for those jobs today in 2023, by 2030, we must have changed the entire global education system away from subject matter uh, in grades. And every grade progresses at the speed of the slowest person in the grade. Those days are over. So the impact of AI in education, for example, as we merge education with AI, 
individual pupils will learn at their own natural rate, whether that's fast or slow, and you won't be one of 25 in a class that's graded simultaneously. But we're also then have to going to give these new kids new skills. So the skills to think, for example, of a system, systems theory, critical thinking skills. How do you identify fake news, fake GPT output, or stupid GPT output from real... Uh, well, yeah, that's the other thing that's happening here as, as the question is what is real and what is valuable, right? Yeah. For example, you can say, you know, you like Dali, so you buy a perfect replica that could be done by a, a fake Dali artist or just printed, and you're perfectly happy with that because it looks great, but you know it's not real, and the person that shells out a hundred million for the real Dali knows the difference, but it looks the same. And then, and let that be the case. Right? And someone wants to pay the part of the money, part of the money. And I think that is something that we have to also maintain by saying, okay, the real journalist is going to be more expensive because that, that work is real, is not a copy, right? Uh, and, th and therein lies a very big difference. I think this is, this is going to become apparent when we have a lot more AI writing books and stuff. They are like fast food. And some people are fine with fast food. And, and, you know, and some of it tastes okay. But you still know that it's probably not the best food you can eat. And people have it. And it's a choice, right? But really what we want is real food. Yeah? Um, and I think this is where we're going to learn that the machines aren't capable of producing that. Because they're not capable of foresight. They're, they don't have any emotions. They, they have no human um, humanity. right? They have no consciousness. They have no spirituality. And, and basically the machine is is um, as opposed to humans, which are all sensing, as people say, right? So when we speak, I hear, I see you, I, you know, I smell you, and it's all like, you know, everything. And this is what humans are. And the machine is only like one sense, and that is computing. Yeah. You know? yeah. They're binary. So I, I think we don't have to necessarily worry about the impact on that level, but also impact on uh, media and democracy by those machines fabricating synthetic truth Yes, like saying you know, look when when Britain joins that the the, the, uh, the EU, the, right? the, all the Turkish people are coming because they're going to come to Europe and they're going to end up in London, yeah. you know, which was completely fabricated. Absolutely, and Brexit reason behind the Brexit, right? I think another feature of of uh, AI is going to be that it removes lots of friction from the current global system, and if you look at the business models of many businesses, it's based on friction. Banking is a classic example. So it started with the internet that started accelerating speed and removing some friction. But there's still a black box in much of banking, asset management, currency trading, commodity trading, etc. But AI, coupled with connectivity, coupled with speed of processing, will start eliminating the friction. And of course, the moment you remove friction, the business model changes. And so companies are going to have to reimagine, again, what is valuable in the eyes of a customer. Well, take a call center. Right? <laughs> Perfect example, classic example, right? So if, if you have a snowstorm in New York, airport is closed, 50,000 people have to be rescheduled. Most of them are not freaking, you know, top level flyers and stuff, right? So you have an AI, you call, you put in your PIN number or you put in your, your travel code, booking code, right? And it will rebook you depending on what's... The AI can do all of that, Correct. right? But if you happen to be uh, make an unusual request or a change that, that's based on courtesy, the AI wouldn't know, you know whether that's important or not. Yeah. So I think what's going to happen to call centers is clearly 90% of that can be done by, by machines sooner or later. And so we're talking about roughly, I think the latest number is 18 million people. Um, so that is definitely a job you do not want to take. But then there will be new call centers where you say we, we use the machine to get your data and then we have more fancy 
Well, I mean, already there is. There, there's, a, there's a young South African startup operating now across the world that use AI in call centers to map real time for regulatory compliance and emotional sentiment of the call already in 2023. Now, imagine this in 2030. But then again, there's a bank that I've uh, had experience with that only employ graduates in call centers. They've used the technology to merge all their internal databases and knowledge systems, but the smart human can actually solve a problem across multiple departments. And for that bank, you pay a premium. And you're happy to do that. Well, this is a question of general intelligence, you know, which humans are considered generally intelligent also because we have eight or 10, according to research, different kinds of intelligence, emotional, social, uh, cultural, kinesthetic. You know, we have all of those intelligence. Machine only has one intelligence, and that is computing, right? So they are, they are binary. So, and this is why having a machine that becomes generally intelligent, in my view, is probably not something that we should pursue as a top business goal, because A, it, rep it does replace us when it gets to that point, having an IQ of a trillion, say, right, a, a, a computing IQ, um, and B, uh, it would be almost impossible to control. You know? So I always say we should probably uh, be careful about how we use AI or what are called IA, intelligent assistance now, because of the automation and those things, and also make sure that we have uh, a flag that says that it is from an AI, but we definitely are going to need a moratorium, a global collaboration, a collaboration agreement on general intelligence. Because, you know, we're not there yet at all because we don't have the computing power. But if we're going to have a machine that's generally intelligent like us, it will very likely be, uh, you know, step, go through the steps of evolution very quickly. I mean, so, 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 you know, Elon Musk thinks we're living in a simulation already. <laughs> right, right. So, and, you know, this is a very big issue. So we need to think about if we can uh, collaborate across the world, and I think this is primarily Europe, US, and China, of course, uh, to figure out if we can control a general intelligence uh, in such a way that it becomes a force for good. Well, put it this way. I think if humans don't find a way of making the virtues of being human valuable, then we have a 20, maybe 30-year window good, and then I think it's over for humanity. I mean, let's be honest. Humans haven't covered ourselves in glory. <laughs> Here we are tonight in 2023, and 3 billion people go to bed hungry. The system is not giving 9 or 10 billion people a fair hope that tomorrow will be better than today. And when we can't solve for that, and AI is one of those big issues, um, and of course the next question is who do we trust to solve for these things? I wouldn't trust the UN. I'm not sure I would trust the World Banking. You know, who do we trust with these big decisions? And how do we remove the vested interests, the Zuckerberg meta kind of influence over this conversation? Yeah, and this is a very big question. I think that I, I think that with technology like this, exponential technology, we need to always keep the human in the loop for the time being, even if it's slower or more cumbersome. So like I think Microsoft has done the right thing with being by sort of castrating a little bit of its functionalities and making it more manageable or it just says, no, I can't go any further. But that's because of Satya Nadella yeah. and his humanness. Probably. Yeah. Look how he turned that organization around and it was based on culture and humanness and servant leadership. And so he has this, uh, this um, benevolent patriarchal view over the power of the AI. But what if it's not him? Remains to be seen if that keeps intact when, when there's trillions of dollars waiting on the other side of the inhuman behavior. But I do trust that they will find a way forward. But generally, I think you know, keeping the human in the loop is, is, to me is the ultimate for now. Uh, but also in the long run, because the question of control is not 
right now control means, for example, that you can distinguish truth or non-truth, you know? And, and that needs to be regulated clearly in social media. I mean, imagine if you have an AI in social media that can Twitter every four seconds about the next president of South Africa and, 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 and pollute the entire network of fake things and videos and well, well, the very good things. I mean, let's not always see the negative side of it. Right? Yeah, but, but of course it doesn't sell. So the bad things go like six to eight times as fast, yes. right? So that's why we have them. So having a story like the Brexit Turkey EU, uh, EU story goes fast because it's fear. Yeah, yeah. And I think generally speaking, we have way too much fear about the future when it's about AI. Uh, we should have caution and precaution to make sure that we can use it in the right way. But when we have fear about any of these possibilities, then we tend to demonize it or the reverse anthropomorphize. Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, ChatGPT is my friend, you know, like Replica, this app, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this is my artificial friend or, you know, the AI should know better when it's about criminal justice. Well, it's like a movie having a romance with its operating system. Right, right, the movie Her, right? And all these things. And, and we're a little bit polluted by what we see on television. Uh, when it's about AI, because the robots are coming, they take our work, and then they harvest our bodies for energy, right? And they they, they take over, and and we have to let go of that kind of idea and say, okay, we can use that for many many things, but we're going to need a framework. And for example, I I am a strong proponent of saying we should have a flag every time we produce content that's done by the machine. You have to have a flag, or or have a human endorsement. And I think on on that point, for me, um, often in these very complex and important conversations, good. We lose perspective on the essence of business. It's that moment, it's a moment when someone with a need meets someone with the ability to supply and they agree on terms and price. That moment is business. And what we need to say to ourselves is how do we utilize all the technologies, including AI, to facilitate that, but how do we then close out that transaction with a moment of human magic? And only humans can do that, even if it's all the processing power up to that moment, whether it's the handshake, the pat on the shoulder, the smile, or the human insight, the comment, that really leaves a person with a sense of, I'm dealing with something, someone that I can relate to, identify with, and that can excite me about the transaction. That's the magic of business. Yeah. Everything else is just part of the process. I'm a little bit worried about this uh, AI thing becoming like social media, where initially we were very excited about it, it was very magical, connecting with others, publishing your own stories, putting up your own images, and it became magic that we could do that and blog. And, and then it became regurgitation of other things. And then it became a game that we played, like I'm the biggest Instagram, whatever, uh, makeup girl, influencer, whatever. And then it became a toxic thing yeah. to where you would read all the wrong things and the people would kill themselves as to what they think. I mean, I think Insta right. you know, Instagram and other of these platforms have a lot to answer for right. in terms of the social ills amongst young people. But you know, it went from, from I always say, magic, magic to manic yeah. to toxic. Yeah. Uh, and the same could happen with AI and that would be the end of life as we know it. Uh, if we move from the magic part of this technology to manic, which means that you know we can't get out of bed without it, and then toxic would be polluting who we are yeah. and changing who we are. And this is, a, this is a real issue also with democracy. How am I going to find an opinion when I ask my chatbot who to vote for? Mm. You know, uh, it would say, well, I, you know, I know everything about you and, and, you know, uh, and it would basically do the voting for me even without asking me. And I think that is removing our human authority of decision making. 
And I think that is probably where we should wrap up the conversation because it's that human authority. And I think from a business perspective in the boardroom, leaders need to have enough knowledge to have a sensible conversation. It's 2030, AI hasn't died. Uh, I think we're on chat GPT 20 now, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so the issue is how do we equip ourselves with the knowledge to harness it, to use it, to manage it, to deliver the outcomes we want for our human customers, clients, and, and colleagues? Um, how do we allocate capital in the boardroom between technology infrastructure? I mean, in 2023, there's still banks that spend money maintaining COBOL mainframes. I mean, it's an insanity. Right? Well, I always say, you know, we should invest, invest as much money in humanity as we invest in technology. Because, because, you know, that is the key to having a good future that we can make together. Uh, and the other one is in, in terms of technology, you know, too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. And that's about food, water, drinking, eating, smoking, whatever, but also about technology. We can have too much technology removing uh, our, our authority over ourselves and getting lazy and, and uh, abdicating. Absolutely correct. Uh, and, and this is the biggest danger by 2030. Yeah. The danger is not that machines will take over, but that we become too much like them. But maybe one of the success criteria in your annual performance review in your company will be A, your ability to harness and deploy AI to make your own job more meaningful? And B, how have you shown your human impact in what you do as a worker? So you'll have two criteria. One is how do you leverage the tech, but then how have you shown yourself to be more valuable than the tech? In other words, how have you moved beyond the routine? Exactly. Um, and, and, and created new values on top. I mean, I think for example, what's happening in medical field is a great example. Doctors will use AI and virtual reality and stuff to be faster, to be more informed, to instantly pull up information, to look at your melanoma and decide what it is. But in the end, the doctor can use the free time to see more patients or to become a better doctor or to talk to you, right? Instead of rushing from one to the other. Well, I think if you look at the NHS at the moment, most people are going to see their doctors because yes, they have an ailment, they have a sniff or a headache, but the actual precipitator for that was a family tension for, for some other reason. Right. The good doctor will understand that, counsel you and guide you around that, solve that, and then the machine will give you a pull for the header. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think a, um, a person with an AI will replace the person without an AI, yeah. but probably will not have an AI replace a person <laughs> as a job because, because all the other pieces are missing. You know, a good doctor, I've met a few in my lifetime, you know, they can look at you at 14 seconds and they, they've got an idea with what goes on and how does that work yeah and so a bad doctor will just go and get you a pill because you have an headache or something you know so i think this is really what's going on and we have to figure out also how to protect humanity in this context and how to evolve our education but what you just said is the the human with an ability to bring those human attributes to the fore in an engagement will always stay relevant and valuable and let's not get too scared about that. Yeah, and the other thing is, of course, to, to wrap up the conversation, I think by 2030 is going to dawn on us that the future of life is not just all about work. Like we had been discussing for, what, 30 years? That technology will result in us working less has never worked out. But by 2030, I think we're going to have technology to that point where we can actually spend less time working on the commodity work. Well, what's an enable? Look at what's happening today. There are these research projects all around the world where workers are working four days a week, getting paid for five days a week, and they found productivity impact output increase. 
And they've, as a consequence, been able to harness the technologies of today to create that space of freedom. And companies are now valuing the ability or the, the impact of having humans having more time to do what they want, the old work-life balance debate, but productivity goes up. You see, it's not either or. It's not the old world of binary black or white. We, we can have two outcomes in today's world. And that's the beauty of what the technology Yeah, I mean, 2030, 2040, we may well live in a world where work is no longer the central thing, but it's everything that we do in life and just work maybe one per hour a day for one person and for the other, it could still be 15. But it's also uh, much more about occupation and calling. Uh, and especially, I think, you know, looking at the people who do uh, uh, menial work and, and, and less sort of intellectual work, a lot of that work will be generated by all the things that are being freed up. Good. There's a, there's a lovely story in, in Europe where a government is actually funding the education for young people on condition they live in a facility of old people right. and spend an hour a day with the old people. And you see, here's the economic model. The reduced cost on the state of healthcare for the old people when they engage with young people is greater than the education cost of the young people. So it still boils, or boils down to euros and cents, but it's a different way of thinking about the economic model. And suddenly, the value of being just a human with an old person reading them a story is now translated into euros. So there's an economic model that works, but it's different. And I think we're going to explore by 2030 many new of these economic models. That's a great way to wrap up the session, Anton. Thanks very much for tuning in. This is Anton Musgrave and Gerd Leonhardt in Cape Town, South Africa, with our show on uh, the world by 2030. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.